This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to a very special 322nd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today I am joined not by an awards contender, but rather by an all-star panel of THR experts to preview the 92nd Academy Awards ceremony, which will take place in Hollywood on Sunday night, and final voting for which has just ended. So here at the table with me in alphabetical order are... Matt Bellany, our editorial director, Stephen Galloway, our dearly departing executive editor, Carolyn Giardina, our tech editor, Rebecca Keegan, our senior editor of film, and if you can keep track of the titles here, Pia Sinharoy, our senior film editor, which is a, a different ordering of the words of senior film editor. So thank you all for being here, and it's an exciting week in town here. I'm going to pose a few big picture questions to specific individuals, and then it will become a free-for-all as we go through the categories. But Matt Bellany, this year we have two first-time Oscar telecast producers, Lynette Howell-Taylor and Stephanie Lane. It's going to be the second year in a row without a host, and it was a much shorter season than we are used to, but for some of us it felt much longer. How would you synopsize the season leading up to Sunday? I don't know. I feel like it's been just one thing after another. I mean, starting in the fall and especially December, January, it was like there was an award show every single night. <laughs> right. And part of it's fun. Like you tune into your phone. And you're like, oh, this is going on. Wait, tonight's the DGAs? <laughs> right. Whereas usually there's a, at least a little bit of a lag. But I think people who are in the midst of these campaigns are just ready for it to be done because there hasn't been any nights off. They've mm-hmm. been going nonstop for four months. Right. Well, Stephen, the biggest hits that are going to be represented on Sunday night at the Oscars are Avengers Endgame, The Lion King, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Frozen 2, and Toy Story 4, but none of them are up for major awards. The biggest hit that is up for major awards is Joker, which has the most nominations of any film with 11. If you buy the notion, which I believe you do, that the Oscar race sort of reflects the overall zeitgeist, what does that tell us about the situation right now in Hollywood and in America at large? I do believe that it reflects the zeitgeist, but the zeitgeist of several years ago. You know, for Wait, are you saying the Oscars are out of touch? Well, we know that. But the truth is when pictures are greenlit and developed is several years ago. Right. Film moves le- much less quickly than television. So it would be interesting to look at these as a reaction to actually the pre-Trump era. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the things with Vietnam. It took a few years for that to register in film. The deer hunter coming home late 70s. 
So I don't think these films tell us anything about what's going on in the world at large today. Mm-hmm. What they do tell us about is what's going on in the industry. Well, and I think they're two that. very significant things. The first one is, if you look back to, say, the year of Jerry Maguire, it was considered a turning point. That was the only studio film nominated in a bunch of indie films. Now, where is the indie film? Great, you've got Parasite. Does Jojo Rabbit actually count as an indie film now that Searchlight is part of the Disney machine? I don't think so. So you've got the complete reversal economically of the situation we saw. The Harvey Weinstein trial marks the end of an era for specialty film, and this Oscars is just putting the cap on that. That's very interesting. The second thing is Netflix. Yes. The Netflix has stepped into the gap that Miramax dominated. It spent a massive amount of money. It's hired the awards strategist who made Harvey's success. So the question is, is this the new order? Is Netflix going to replace specialty films? Is there still an independent market? Or does the combination of the rise of Netflix, the return of studio films to the award race, actually mean the death of the specialty business? Well, Netflix does have the most nominations of any company heading into Sunday. They have 24, but it will be interesting what the narrative is coming out of the show because as a New York Times article that just came out this afternoon notes, Probably we're looking at two wins for the company in all likelihood, none for The Irishman, one for Marriage Story for Laura Dern in the supporting actress category, and probably American Factory for Best Documentary Feature. But we'll come more to those in a minute. Rebecca Keegan, we almost had another year of Oscars so late. That would have been the third in five years. And as you have reported in our Oscar Week issue, that was basically only staved off by the nomination in the Best Actress category for Cynthia Erivo, the star of Harriet. But it's not indicative of the fact that, you know, nobody should think the Academy has not been trying since the first Oscar so white to correct the situation. What did you find in your research into what they've been up to? Well, in a lot of ways, the Academy has done what it said it would do after Oscar so white happened the first time. They've has succeeded in meeting their goal of doubling the number of members of color. They're going to succeed in their goal of doubling the number of women. But what's interesting is because the group started out from a place of such whiteness and such maleness, even these very dramatic changes in their membership are not enough to really shift the needle. And and even if they continue inviting this way, they'll never actually reach representation. They'll never have gender parity, and they'll never be representative of the United States. I mean, one thing that I found shocking in your reporting on this story was that despite the aggressive push over the past couple of years, 84% of the Academy is white. And you would think with all the headlines and the, that they've had over the past couple of years about this push for inclusion, that that number would have come down dramatically. It really hasn't. Yes, it was 90-something five years ago, which is kind of shocking to even hear. But the fact that it's still at 84% is really surprising. Well, the old white people have not died off at a fast enough uh, rate. And they (laughs) decided not to kick them out as they initially thought they would, because they probably did the math and said, okay, if we're going to reverse this number, we've got to not only push for inclusion, but we've got to eliminate some 
older white voters, and then there was such backlash. Right. They backed well, it's hard to argue in favor of inclusion and then have exclusion, exclusion. Right. based yeah. on especially your age. when people were admitted with the understanding that it was for the rest of their lives. That there was no provision for anything else. But Rebecca's reporting noted that the academy has said, even though it's still on the books, the idea that. If you're inactive for a certain period of time, you can lose your you can become an emeritus voter. They're not going to be enforcing that. Right. Yeah. I, I, there was a lot of criticism at the time that that was ageist. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, th- the idea was if you're voting on the Oscars, you should be someone who's actively working in the industry, not like a realtor in Encino who won for a short film in 1987. <laughs> it ticked off a lot of people who are older, who are actively in the industry, mm-hmm. and they've decided not to go through with that. Yeah. Well, Pia, the, some of the people who did not make the cut this year but got a lot of attention for for being, quote-unquote, snubbed included Jennifer Lopez, who we just saw this past weekend at the Super Bowl. She seems to be doing okay. Um, <laughs> Aquafina, Beyonce. We ended up, though, with a lot of Oscar veterans. Just look at the supporting actor category, for instance. You've got four past winners, Pacino, Pesci, Hanks, and Hopkins, along with a guy who's about to join them as an acting winner, Brad Pitt. But also, I think this year's field, maybe on the flip side, there are some people there who represent the future, the kind of direction we may be heading in. I'm talking about people like Taika Waititi, who I know you're a big fan of, and Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, Florence Pugh, and the aforementioned Cynthia Erivo. What can you tell us about sort of the the new wave of people who are going to be there on Sunday night? I think the new wave, the the first example of what we saw this new wave of Academy members doing was last year, where while Green Book did win that top prize, mm-hmm. there were 15 women who took home Oscars, which was a record number of Oscars last year. We're not going to see that repeated this year. It's, a, it, it's an overwhelmingly white and male race. But that new wave were responsible for some of those key nominations last year, the key historic nominations. So I think this new wave that are coming in are, you know, have an eye towards being progressive and having an eye towards also, you know, supporting original storytelling. I do think we saw some really great original stories this year. Some of them are in that best picture race and some of them unfortunately didn't make it. And uh, I, I think that change is coming. But as Rebecca's story showed, you know, it's hard to look at that change coming until the base demographics of the Academy can change. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, there are a few specific women to watch in this year's race who are expected to do well, in some cases, you know, make potentially make history. Joker's composer, who, whose name I will not try to just pronounce. Just call her Hilder. Hilder, Hilder. yeah. We'll, we'll leave it cool. there. Yeah. She, uh, from Iceland, she just won a Grammy two weeks ago. Now she may win an Oscar for the score of Joker. There are some other folks across the board who who, you know, it's it, as you said last year, it was sort of representative with Green Book coming a year after, I believe, Moonlight. You know, this is a tug of war between different factions of the industry who respond to different things. It's been interesting to watch. Um, but Carolyn Giardina, last year we were at this time talking about categories that the Academy was trying to kick off the telecast, and then they got nuked for, for even trying to do that. This year, that's sort of faded to the background, but we are looking at categories like sound mixing and sound editing, which are overlapping again 
chosen by the sound branch of the Academy exclusively, again, overlap on four of five. Four of the five. Right? Right. And that is why what is happening with the push to deal with those categories? Well, within those branches, uh, there are actually mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. There are, I, I've heard arguments for and against the move. I think one belief that is universally shared is that if they are to combine the two, they have to keep the roles in the two categories on the ballot. Totally I think if they start removing the role, then it's going to be a problem. Right. But um, but as far as whether or not they're going to combine it, um, again, I think the feelings even within the branch are mixed. And right now it's sort of you have a casting director newly elected as president of the Academy who it seems like has the, the faith of the below-the-line branches. So I don't think we're going to be seeing too many. You're not going to see anything really go away beyond that possible consolidation probably, but we might see in the coming year or two maybe an addition of a casting director Oscar or something like that. I know there's a push still for a stunt Oscar. It all comes down to, though, they have to deliver a telecast that's supposed to be something like three, three and a half hours, and it doesn't help to have more categories, and it doesn't help to have more people on the Board of Governors when you're trying to get anything done. But let's go over a few interesting scenarios that we may be looking at on Sunday, and everyone, please just jump in if any of these particularly interest you. Universal could win for the second year in a row. Green Book they had last year. This year they have 1917. That's kind of interesting for a studio that had gone quite a while without much Oscar traction. Stephen, you seem to be interested in that. Uh, what I find interesting is the film itself. As, as we all know, uh, the actors didn't get nominated. As we all know, the film appeared well after the race was underway. Mm-hmm. So this defies two of the sort of rules of, of the Oscars. Uh, number one, uh, that the cast should be nominated. And number two, that you have to take part in all these things. We've seen it before with Million Dollar Baby and other films that you can come in late and win. But I would say that's a very worrying thing for all the awards strategists who make a lot of money uh, (laughs) and get big bonuses, that a picture that can come in like this and with a few carefully arranged screenings, but with no massive stars, can still get this kind of traction. The question in terms of whether it does get that traction is it's a very good picture up against some very good pictures. It is also the most white and the most male of, of a white <laughs> male bunch of pictures. I mean, to me, that's the funny thing about these two films over the past two years that are likely going to win Best Picture, Green Book and 1917, is that for all the discussion about the progressive new Academy and nominating foreign language films in the Best Picture race and all the new things they're doing, these are two fairly traditional old-style Academy movies that, lo and behold, the old-style Academy likes and is probably going to vote Best Picture. Well, and you know what else I believe they share in common, which is somebody who was pitted against Netflix, in, at least in the media, and that is Steven Spielberg. He you know, has been sort of in the background but involved with both of those films through Amblin, and I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, again, it comes back to this, you know, if Netflix is the future, then is there a resistance? Is this actually a conscious, concerted resistance to Netflix where people are going for other things? Or is it just that, you know, the reality is Netflix got a lot of nominations. They have more Best Picture nominees, as many as anybody in that category. It doesn't seem like people actively hate Netflix, but they're just in any large numbers, but they're not 
giving them the top prize yet. Rebecca? Well, yeah, no, th- some of them don't actively hate Netflix. Some of them do, and they talk my ear off about <laughs> actively hating Netflix. I mean, particularly in the executive branch and the producer's branch, right. you'll hear from a lot of people who are actively voting anti-Netflix, which I think is is hurting them. I, I think there is a genuine backlash within the Academy against streaming. But you don't think it's countered by the number of people who are now in business with Netflix? Let's even just look at this year's Board of Governors, where you have Laura Dern, who is one of them. Well, Jim Giannopoulos is on the board, and his studio is very much in business with mm-hmm. Netflix, like actively making movies for Netflix. Does Spielberg have a Netflix project? Spielberg is doing a Netflix He movie. is now doing yeah. one. Yeah, we, we just announced it was... Yeah, we just, it was like a few days ago. Oh, the issue here isn't black and white. The issue isn't a massive movement against Netflix. Mm-hmm. The issue is if there is a small movement and you've got a close election, as we can all see because we're waiting for the results of the caucuses right. as we record... <laughs> It can make a massive difference. Right. So the very so, so who is who is the mayor Pete of the Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> well, if 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 that would be sort of a, a third option who swoops in at the end, potentially that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which on a preferential ballot, which is used only for the Best Picture category, could do well. You're playing right. It's a fastball down the middle with hometown. You know, crowd loves movies about movies. Loves movies about Hollywood. If you think about what we've talked about in Rebecca's piece about the average age of Academy members, they were here in 1969. It's sort of nostalgic. So, so that movie's more of a Biden? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't would, know if I believe the argument that uh, that, that argument, as you know, goes back to the early 80s when the argument was that Atlantic City and Reds had split the vote and so Chariots of Far won. Each time we've thought this film will get more number two votes and therefore could come in, it doesn't. Doesn't happen. <laughs> and we've had that theory every year since Wait, was since the preferential ballot, ballot around? No, no, no. The no. preferential came in only a decade ago, though, which does jostle things a little bit. And what it seems to have done is cause splits for between picture and director, where director seems to go to the one that was the hardest job, which arguably is the guy that had to make a movie look like it was all done in one shot, which would be consistent with the DGA award going for Mendes. The question is, is do people feel enough passion as opposed to just respect for 1917? Or is the underdog that people are excited to root for Parasite, which Pia would be the first non-English language movie ever to win Best Picture in 92 years? It did make that same sort of history at the SAG Awards. I think everyone can agree Parasite is probably the most original story in that Best Picture mm, race. Wait, I'm sorry. There is a movie about an imaginary Hitler in this race. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's book, true. It's true, I guess. I, I've got to go with imagine. I've got I don't to know. come down on Pierce's side this. I mean, all of us have seen Life is Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Would not say that Jojo Rabbit is the most original picture. So I, I've got I, to I'm say, with yeah. On, okay, I appreciate it. I've got Galloway on my side, so I'm good. <laughs> the fact that matters our boss is completely irrelevant. <laughs> well, we are dealing with a dean now. Yeah, so yeah. Can't really argue. <laughs> Here's the crucial thing it is about the Academy liking a message. The Academy likes to believe that it's making a picture that's serious, that delivers a wholesome, meaningful, and clear message. That's why 1917 will win. That's why Green Book won. That's also why people voted for Moonlight over La La Land. And I think you err if you look at other factors. The Academy still believes in that sort of, you know, liberal humanist value tradition, whether left or right politically, and looks for a film that that 
that represents that. There's gravitas. What about shape of water, though? That's a good. That's a good example. Because that of where was, it was pre- just what's it say? I, I do think, but Stephen has a point, and, and it's it's absolutely the way that I think it's there was no go. movie that that said outsiders matter as much as Shape of Water did. Well, but that was a construct of their yeah, campaign. Yeah, they tried to make it about immigrants. They, right. Every campaign <laughs> right. tries to make it about the sea something bigger. An that was yeah. initially the love story is the other. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> they did it. They managed to fool me. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, let's look at a few other likely big moments in the show. We're going to have. First Oscar wins for potentially Laura Dern, Joaquin Phoenix, and then most notably Brad Pitt. Those could be big moments. You've got American Factory from the Obama's production company, the again, the front runner for best documentary feature with, I don't know how this will be or if it will be acknowledged during the show, but one of the two directors, Julia Reichert, is now openly acknowledging that she has terminal cancer and is a likely Oscar winner there. Diane Warren is hoping that the 11th is the charm. I don't think it's likely, but could happen. The songwriter uh, for a little indie movie got a couple of family affairs. The Baumbach and Gerwig couple both are in contention for picture and screenplay awards. And the Newman cousins, Randy and Thomas, are up against each other for original score. Renee Zellweger, this is oh, kind of Oh, and don't amazing. forget the Minklers, father and son. Michael Thank Minkler and good... Christian Minkler are nominated in sound mixing together for Once Upon a Time That's in Hollywood. That's a good one I'd miss, absolutely. And uh, that would be, you know, these are things that may escape the the radar of the average viewer, but I think are kind of cool to note. And there is also kind of a, a, a cloud hanging over L.A. that will be addressed in, a, in some fashion, which is that obviously Kobe Bryant, who won at the Oscars just two years ago, was killed just two weeks ago. And now, actually, in the category that he won, Best Documentary Short, we have another former professional athlete, Matthew Cherry, who could win for a, a short called Hair Love and has, has said that he would acknowledge Kobe. We've got uh, Kobe will be mentioned in the in memoriam. There may be other things as well. Anything to say about that? I do think with Hair Love, that has been getting so much support early on. It's also one of the, the, the really lovely stories that we don't... It's an underrepresented story of, you know, a father who learns how to do his daughter's hair. It's really cute. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. But I do think it's there's something very special about Matthew Cherry being a former NFL player himself, an athlete, and, and if he does win, like, there is something very nice about yeah. him offering to, you know, that he would pay tribute to Kobe as well in that category. Absolutely. Well, as we wind down, Carolyn, one other thing we should know, after all those decades of saying Roger Deakins is <laughs> needing an Oscar, he may now win his, he almost, that's probably the safest bet of the his night. Second his in second two, in, in three, three years, years right? Excuse me. For 1917. That's right. Yes, that's that looks very likely. Uh, he's Since uh, people started to see 1917, his name immediately went to the top of the list. He won the BAFTA. He won the ASC. It's hard to imagine that he won't win again. It's really rare for a film to be such a showcase for the for the cinematographer, right. and like 1917, walking away from that, that was a, those were the images that stuck with me. And you really come away going, "This is Deacons's like yeah, magnum movie, opus yeah. right here. This is his movie." Sort of like yeah, like Birdman in its own way was what again a visual just showcase. And then I just want to close talking about Renee Zellweger, who barring a Olivia Coleman like shocker over Glenn Close, like we saw last year, could now be in for one of the great Hollywood comebacks ever. I mean, this woman was written off, not even, didn't work for years, was m- cruelly mocked for 
her parents. Just it's an unbelievable thing. And I think we've sort of been desensitized because she's been winning awards every weekend. But to come back, I guess we're looking now 16 years after winning Best Supporting Actress for Cold Mountain, and a lot has happened in that time period, to come back and win for Judy in the lead actress category would be kind of a a big moment as well. So any I missed the memo on her being written off because I'm a huge Bridget Jones fan <laughs> and never stopped watching her. <laughs> well, she, and she I did, thought she, was she amazing. voluntarily yeah. stepped away. Yeah. I mean she yeah. wanted to if she wanted to take a bit of a break from it, I get it, but I didn't stop watching her. Well that's the beauty of cable TV and what's on demand. We yeah. all know Renee is gonna win. Well, we said that last year about Glenn Close. No, 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 it was much closer last year. But here's the thing. What do they share in common? Glenn Close was the only nominee from her film, The Wife. Renee Zellweger is one of only two from Judy. Glenn Close lost to Olivia Colman, who was in the most nominated movie of the year, tied with Roma, the favorite was. And this year, there is some question, does that mean anything that the best actress nominee for a best picture is Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story or Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. And wrapping up my point is just that, (laughs) is just that (laughs) when you have, when you now have so many new members who are younger, who are active in their careers, do they prioritize the Best Picture nominees and don't get around to watching the one with one or two nominations? I, I think that's actually true. And I think we saw that happen this year in particular because of the shortened window for right. nominations and for Phase 2. And you saw that with the nominations. I mean, if you look at it, four or five films yeah. got 11, 10, or 9 nominations. Right. And I think that's not just a sign of we love these films the best. Right. I think it's really a sign that we kind of only saw these right. films. which could also explain where J-Lo disappeared to with Hustlers or exactly. things like that. And a lot of these performances, like Aquafina and The Farewell, these were in small movies that you had to pop in that screener or seek out. And I think this year people just were too busy to do it. So if there is going to be a shocker, I think it would be Renee Zellweger losing, and it would be to someone who's in one of those movies that mm-hmm. everybody saw. Who do you think it is? I don't know. Maybe Scarlett Johansson. I think She's got Scarlett. two shots. If it was somebody, or she could, sadly, uh, for two Laura Dern, it could happen you. there. So, yeah. Because no, it can split, the, split some the of vote. the vote. And yeah. the majority of times when someone's been up, there's 12 times when somebody's been up for a lead in supporting in the same year. The majority of those times, somebody's won one. We are going to end there. Thank you guys all, and enjoy Sunday night. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.